break 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 You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch-Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we are back here on The Punch-Out, 7th of January, 2022. Very happy to be back with you here on the show And we got plenty for you here on the show, as we always do. We're going to be talking about big banks in the United States in trouble. We're also going to be talking about why Russian troops are in the African nation of Mali. But before we get to either of those two very important stories, we want to talk about the severe hardship facing tens of millions of people across the United States as it concerns their socioeconomic situation. One of the things that the COVID-19 crisis brought into further relief is the depth of economic and social challenges faced by many people in the United States and how many people's income and support is fragile enough that they aren't too far away from total devastation in a crisis like the pandemic, which led to a rise of support for programs designed to help working and poor people like child tax credits, paid family leave, increased funding for child care, early education and elder care, as well as large cash infusions for affordable housing and expanded unemployment insurance. With the inaction by the government on these crucial issues, the need is clearly still there for all of these various programs. To give a sense of some of the scale and scope of the social devastation still hitting millions across the United States, We took a look at the Household Pulse survey from the Census Bureau from its most recent available period, December 1st through 13th, just as Omicron started to become a major factor. During that time, 28.5 million people reported that it was, quote-unquote, very difficult to meet their usual household expenses in the past seven days. 125 million people said they had difficulty of some sort in paying their usual household expenses in the seven days prior. 13.7 million households with children stated it was, quote unquote, very difficult to meet those household expenses. 5.7 million people who responded that it was very difficult to meet their usual expenses in the past week had used the expanded child tax credit to help cover some of those costs. That program has now lapsed, which seems almost certain to cause more serious hardship among those millions. 6.4 million people stated they were, quote, not at all confident, not at all confident they could make the next month's rent. And 20.4 million people were only slightly or moderately confident that they could make the next month's rent. 12.5 million households with children under 18 stated they were not at all confident, slightly confident or moderately confident they would make the next month's rent. Just over 8 million said they were highly confident. So clearly, millions of kids are facing very real uncertainty of whether or not they'll have a roof over their head from month to month. 9.4 million people, by the way, reported that they were behind on rent payments. 21.1 million people reported that in the last seven days, they had often or sometimes not had enough to eat. 21.1 million people reported that in the last seven days, they had often or sometimes not had enough to eat. 9.7 million being households with children in them. 
to the United States, the richest country on earth. And just to cap all of this off, 98.6 million people stated that at least several days over the survey period, they felt down, depressed, or hopeless. 20.3 million reported feeling that way, quote, nearly every day. It's the real United States for you. Tens of millions of people struggling for food, clothing, and shelter. A struggle so real, tens of millions of people have been cast into deep despair. Russian troops have arrived in the ancient center of learning of Timbuktu in present-day Mali. The unknown number of troops is in country to train Malian forces after recent equipment purchases from Russia as the country's military government tries to get a hold of the conflict in the northern and central parts of the country. The announcement comes after a mid-December warning from Western nations to Mali not to accept any assistance whatsoever from Russia and issuing vague threats to go along with it. Perhaps not coincidentally, Mali was removed from the U.S. trade deal, the African Growth and Opportunity Act, or AGOA, alongside Ethiopia and Guinea in what appears to be a U.S. attempt to punish African nations it views as disobedient to its orders. The Russian entry into Mali comes in the context of a recent coup, mass anti-French sentiment, and a significant reduction in French military forces in West Africa. Mali is beset by a few overlapping conflicts. In the north, there are issues involving ethnicity with peoples whose traditional homelands cross several borders. There are related and interlocking conflicts between herders and pastoralists fighting over grazing land and water resources in the context of increasing desertification in the Sahel region due to climate change. And then there are groups claiming to fight under the flag of Islam, using all these conflicts to carve out their own power base. From 2013 to 2020, Mali's government was a key ally in the French military efforts to stem the conflict. France's efforts were motivated by a desire to prop up the broader neo-colonial infrastructure that secures a significant amount of West African resources for the French economy, as well as key markets for French products and services. However, the military intervention by France not only failed, but the conflict seemed to get worse, pushing into the central part of the country and being accompanied by a range of abuses by French and Malian forces against civilians, all of which prompted France to announce a troop drawdown last year to calm anger both at home and abroad. This failed military intervention by France helped fuel mass anger towards France's broader role in the country. Something happened in West Africa more generally these days, and anti-French demonstrations became more and more frequent in Mali and have continued over the past year. In 2020 and then again in 2021, the military launched coups against embattled governments. The coup forces actively spoke to the anti-French sentiment among many Malians to curry favor and pledged to turn the military situation around and stabilize the country, something that they have also so far failed to do. So it seems since late last year, the coup government has turned to Russia for assistance in riding the ship at the front line, so to speak. This has infuriated Western nations who obviously fear that rising anti-French and anti-Western sentiment in West Africa could lead to their privileged imperialist economic positions in the region slipping with their geostrategic rivals gaining favor. Clearly, the Malian government is willing to risk Western disfavor, and clearly the move reflects a decline in French and Western hegemony in the region. What it means beyond that is yet to be seen. The coup government was at one point projecting elections this year. But now they proposed an open-ended transition that could end in six months or five years, they say. They have also, very notably, recently jailed Umar Mariko, a well-known left-wing leader in Mali who, along with his political party, African Solidarity for Democracy and Independence, or SADI, have been at the forefront of the mass protests targeting France. 
Mali is a country that suffers from deep poverty, and Saudi makes clear connections between poverty and neocolonialism and fights for a socialist future. Mariko was jailed for insulting the coup leadership after a private voicemail was leaked on social media. It seems as if the military is looking to sideline popular forces that could threaten their monopoly on power or who are fighting for a broader social and economic agenda. However, some of these issues play out. For now, it seems fair to say that Mali's turn to Russia for military help, mass protest against French military presence in Burkina Faso and Niger, the failing U.S. regime change attempt in Ethiopia, the mass resistance to the Swazi king in Swaziland, the protest against the pro-Western generals in Sudan, and the rise of a strategic partnership between Eritrea and China show that the era of unipolar imperial dominance in Africa is coming to a close, and the struggle for the future of the continent is in full swing. For over a year now, we've been reporting to you, based on the great work of Watchdog Wall Street on Parade, about a massive new government bailout program that is shrouded in secrecy and is getting almost zero coverage in the mainstream media, and that raises major red flags about the state of the U.S. economy. We are talking about the multi-trillion dollar cash machine the Federal Reserve has created for the repo loan market. In the last quarter of 2019, before the pandemic, the Fed shoveled $4.5 trillion to the repo market. By July 2020, it was $11 trillion. They were doing this mainly on an ad hoc basis, but in late 2021, they formalized the process and authorized a loan facility to give out $500 billion a day and more if needed. So essentially, a blank check. The repo market sits at a crucial nexus in the financial system. Not just because it's trillions of dollars, about $4 trillion a day, but most major players, the huge banks, the large institutional investors, and so on, are all involved. So if something goes wrong in there, the ripple effects hit the whole economy. A repo is basically a short-term loan. One party sells a security to another, but agrees to repurchase it at a later date at a higher price. Usually they're overnight loans, but they can be longer. Financial companies with a lot of cash on hand, like money market funds, think Fidelity, Vanguard, but also a lot of big banks, love repos because it's a way to make money on essentially idle cash that's not earning interest. Securities-heavy companies, think hedge funds, love it because they have less cash on hand, and this way they can easily and quickly turn non-cash holdings into cash for their day-to-day trades. So again, major loan market with major implications if there's any problems there. And if trillions of dollars are being pumped in by the government for unexplained reasons, certainly that should be a red flag that there are, in fact, problems. The Fed, however, is only dripping out the information about who's getting the money, making it difficult to piece it all together. But from what is out, it does indeed confirm that there should be some red flags flying here. For instance, one of the largest borrowers in 2019 was Deutsche Bank, who took on $11.5 billion in one day. Just 13 days after it faced a massive raid, from the authorities in Germany in a money laundering operation and when its stock was trading at historic lows because the bank had been announcing major challenges all year, including the need to lay off 18,000 people. Deutsche Bank is known to have quite a bit of interlocking business with the largest U.S. bank, J.P. Morgan Chase. J.P. Morgan also was one of the major recipients of repo loan money in the last quarter of 2019, having taken $30 billion. And this is after earlier in that same year, they withdrew 57% of the reserves they were holding at the Federal Reserve, just over $150 billion in six months for totally unexplained reasons. It's hard not to look at this and assume that the Fed's repo loan facility was created because there are an enormous amount of bad bets on Wall Street and they keep popping up here and there and the Fed has to ride to the rescue before the ripple effects hit the broader economy. One thing's clear and that's that the economy is massively over leveraged. 
or in basic terms, all the major economic actors have way more debts out there than they can really cover, and many of them are just totally reckless gambles. As we've noted before, record sums in borrowed money, at least $814 billion in 2021, was spent by stock speculators last year. As the Wall Street Journal noted, that was, quote, up 49% from one year earlier, the fastest annual increase since 2007 during the frothy period before the 2008 financial crisis. Before that, the last time investor borrowings had grown so rapidly was during the dot-com bubble in 1999. 15% of small cap companies, that's between $300 million and $2 billion in value, 15% of small cap companies in the U.S. are zombie companies, companies that don't make enough to cover their interest payments. Overall, zombie companies in the U.S. owe $2 trillion, more than even at the height of the 2008 crisis. Eventually, this house of cards is going to collapse on itself. And when it does, it'll be you and I who are asked to foot the bill for yet another massive Wall Street bailout. So it's worth watching what's happening in the repo loan market because it very well may be the canary in the coal mine. That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York, East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles, Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom. 